have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature. Don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men, with machine minds and machine hearts. <laughs> Jason Burmes. And who loves you? And who do you love? Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I am Jason Burmes. This is Reality Rants brought to you by the very good people over at redvoicemedia.com. If you're not going over to redvoicemedia.com, what are you waiting for? That's where you find everything Reality Rants on top of a plethora of other great shows. So today, we're going to take a look at the quote-unquote Chinese spy balloon. And normally I double quotes it, but we'll, we'll go with the one hand in, in the beginning. Like many, I was extremely tempted to just go live as soon as the story hit because it was ultra bizarre. I thought to myself, maybe I'll just do an Ask Me Anything and get everybody's vibe on this and what they think this is, et cetera, et cetera. I decided to hold back. I wanted to see what the media circus would be surrounding this thing, what would eventually come of it. And in pretty short order, here's the narrative. Chinese spy balloon makes its way across Canada into the United States through some sort of an era. Um, error, sorry, not era. <sighs> then a, a Chinese official comes out says that it's a uh, environmental surveillance balloon that got off a track and uh, that's why it's there. Okay. Then you have uh, kind of this time period where it's up in the air, everybody's outraged, but what's really going on is they're waiting for the balloon to get to a certain area that they know that they can blow it out of the air and that they can recover it without an issue of either harming anybody or have anybody's eyes on any of it. That's I think that's the main thing. Have anybody's eyes on any of it. Okay? So to to start off, I want everybody just to take a look at the thumbnail really quickly. And by the way, thumbs it up, subscribe and share if you're if you're new. And clearly on the bottom of this thing, it looks a lot what's it look a lot like a traditional satellite, okay? 
Now, why is that interesting to me anyway? And why is that relevant? Well, you know, you have these headlines and you kind of go across the board and I want to show people some other pictures here. Oh, surveillance balloon. Sorry about that. Oh, that's in, in the Hawaii. You, you look at these things, right? Here, here's an example of one, another example of one. And this is basically the public stuff. There's another example of one. Uh, I mean, I, we could continue. This is really the only model I've seen that's uh, somewhat different because you look at the white one here. Um, doesn't have quite the apparatus on the bottom. Okay, and and they and they tell you that solar panels uh, may very well be may uh, be some other kind of a system on top of that. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, that that's old technology. So what if? Just what if everybody? We're in a system where there is kind of this universal agreement with world powers that you're allowed to have these type of balloon satellites. It's not a surveillance system. It is actually a satellite up in the air. But now there's so many of them, right? Because most of us think that like traditional satellites, the, the traditional satellite system, you're, you're putting something into orbit. And I'm going to show you um, Elon Musk or nuts and Jay Leno having an interesting conversation for a minute, a minute or so about space in general that I think is really important. Okay, but it's extremely hard to get into orbit. And these systems are really, really expensive. So what if instead of just like getting into orbit, you had a system where a lot of your satellites, not all of them, I'm, I'm not a spaces fake guy, I'm not a flat earth guy, okay? But I will tell you that obviously, NASA and other space agencies have lied to the public for a very long time. That's like, I mean, Come on, think about everything we've been lied to. And especially when we're talking about these type of information systems, surveillance, et cetera, there's so much that's classified. So you in large part have a system globally where yeah, you have the satellites up there, but you have a lot of balloon satellites, okay? And I'm also gonna make the case that um, many of these balloon satellites, the reason that you don't see them, number one, this thing was probably supposed to be another 30 to 60,000 feet in the air, maybe higher. And what I think happened uh, was basically when they're up in the air like that, they have certain uh, propulsion systems that allow them to move around and navigate, push them one way or another. Okay. So that goes out. They lose um, uh, control of the balloon. So it can no longer be remotely controlled. And then they lose the, the tracking on it because perhaps the computer system's out. They're not able to refuel it. And I'll get to like refueling these balloons uh, type systems. Again, let's let's take a look. Let's scroll right down and take a look at these balloon type systems, how you would uh, refuel them with helium. Uh, there are plenty of ways, by the way. I mean, a, a big ship like that would be a, a great way to refuel them uh, autonomously or with actual pilots, guys. You know, that would be a great dr drone thing. Basically, you have a suction thing that comes down on the top, you know, a sealed thing. It unseals, you poke it through, you rehelium it, et cetera. It's up there perpetually. A lot going on in, in what would be not low Earth orbit, in my opinion, that we don't see, we don't know about, we don't talk about. Okay. So 
you have this balloon, it gets out there, and now what do you do? Well, chances are it probably, let, let's say it did crash, um, has Chinese logos and parts, because there's this transnational partnership now via the military industrial complex that I'm going to get into with my great interview I did last night with Stuart J. Hooper. You, you, you really are going to want to watch this one, folks. Half of it's going to be on the free, half of it's going to be on the premium. But you, you do that, right? And then basically you get to keep this China bad narrative and America good. You get to keep this narrative that the U.S. is no longer number one, that it, it's a degrading nation state as globalization takes over. So in a way, some of it's true, but there's a lot of narrative management going on. Now, look. You can say to me, Jason, a lot of that is speculative and it's very true. But from everything I've seen, and I'm going to show you, um, you know, let's just go through some of these stories, first of all, that this isn't just, you know, um, an isolated incident. So we have a spy balloon that crashed off the Hawaii coast four months ago, UFO, uh, US officials are saying. And then they're also copying. Um, to Florida and Texas over the last couple of years. And some of this may have been going on in the Trump administration as well. But I'm sure he was briefed in the sense that I'm talking about. And, oh, sir, it's part of an international network. And, and you know, we have these certain treaties. I mean, think about it. We, did anybody really know about the five eyes? As much as I talk about surveillance and the Track Trace Database Society, I didn't know about that until we had documentation on it. And most people would have never believed it had it not come out and then it was still suppressed by the media, okay? And you gotta understand, right now, uh, I believe this is back in September and you have still a US-Russian partnership in space. So clearly, clearly there are things going on behind the scenes. This one launched out of Kazakhstan, okay? Right there. So they're, they're still cooperating up there, all right, September. Now, you had astronauts last year, about a year and a half ago, uh, calling for collaborations with China. Um, even uh, this September, again, as that was happening with Russia, cooperation with China in space, and then um, China considering expanding its uh, Tianyong space station. So clearly, yeah, and you know what? That is something I, I didn't pull up, but Bushnell actually talks about the treaties in space um, via what can be done. So the first clip that I want to play is I want to bring up El Musker Knutson. All right. And and first of all, what I what I what I like about this clip is it tells you how tough um, space is and like kind of the realities of it. And then it gets to the point where he tells you how hard it is to get things into orbit. Yeah, it's tough. It's not easy. It's it's not like, it's a lot easier to perpetually have a balloon at 100,000 feet if you also have some kind of mechanized drone technology that can do the same and refuel it. Or even if you, you have to have man flights to refuel these systems every once in a while. In my opinion. Then again, risking trying to put something in space all the time, 
I'm, I'm not saying it's not there, and then have it basically perpetually in this orbital system. Throwing it out there. You know, you can disagree if you, if you like. It's okay. Um, but here we are. Here's Musk and uh, Jay Leno having a conversation. Walked away from it, and now it's back. And all these kids are here doing this because of you, and you're their inspiration. That's got to feel good. Yeah, I mean, I think we've got an incredible team, and we're making great progress here. We're trying to achieve the holy grail of rocketry, which is a fully and rapidly reusable rocket. There's no, no one has ever made a fully reusable orbital rocket, and I'm not even close. See, see, that's another thing. People don't realize, like when people are going into orbit also, they're like in a capsule. Even when you had, you know, uh, the Bezos dick rocket, you know, that capsule is all that stays and then it comes back down. Rockets, and so many people are kind of ignorant of this because they don't know much about space travel in reality. They have been hooked into entertainment and everywhere we always see this idea of a rocket taking off like a plane. Well, so far, uh, you know, nothing on that level has been publicly demonstrated. Let, let's let's make that here. And when you've seen tests of these things trying to come down, and actually, if you watch this whole piece, it's much more extensive. It's not an easy thing to do. Never one that could be rapidly reflown like an aircraft. And that is actually the essential sort of invention, if you will, that is necessary to make humanity a multi-planet species. And it seems like common sense. I mean, you wouldn't get in a plane, fly it once, yeah. And then wreck it, and then, and then, yes. and then build it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I mean, like, like, like the current, the way, the way that rockets. I, I, you know, and this, this is such a PR train. Occupy Mars. No one's going to Mars. Stop it. Stop it. First of all, human beings physically are not equipped to go to Mars in any known sense. If they're telling us half the truth, that's one. Okay. I mean, that's a, that's a good still shot of Musk. Like, <laughs> and that's what this whole thing is about. Okay, but really what it's about is reusing rocketry, all right, in this next level of, I, I would say, industrializing and militarizing space globally against the populace, unfortunately. It used to be, it would be like, if you bought a plane and then you over your destination, you jump out with a parachute yeah. and then the plane crashes. Right. And, and that's actually how rockets work. Why do you think it was not done before? I mean, it, it's a very hard uh, engineering problem. You, you need a lot of uh, advancements in the on the engines, the airframe, the heat shield, and, and all of the technologies that go right. into the rocket in order to have it be reusable, but still get payload to orbit. Right. Getting to space is easy. Right. But getting to orbit is 100 times harder than getting to space. So there you go. That, that's the key part I want everybody to hear. A hundred times harder than getting into space. All right, so there's a big failure rate anyway. We're putting up more satellites than ever, especially during the, with this guy in Starlink. So how many of these are really balloon satellite systems that we've globally agreed to? All right, that are part of a classified program. Now, I'm going to show you a, a couple clips of invisibility technologies why why am i about to talk about invisibility technologies and cloaks because they exist and they've been around for a very long time so i would also imagine that there's a good chance that when these things are up and running all right i know you're seeing like kind of that white see-through material that's also what modern day what we know about 
invisibility cloaks actually look like. So now you have a balloon type system where you can't see the balloons and then they're up so high most of the time, maybe if there's a malfunction or a refueling or a fraction or something that could account for some of the UFO activity up there, just pointing that out and, and the refueling systems. Does this start to make a lot of sense? I mean, are we supposed to believe our eyes? Yeah, like our actual senses and what we can see and what they're actually talking about or what we can't see. And, th and this clip is from about a decade ago, CNN style, um, talking about this very thing of, of the reality of invis inv invisibility cloaks. Then we're going to talk, talk about the adaptive tank invisibility cloak technology that's like four or five years old publicly. And then I'm going to show you a questionable video. Okay. I'm not signing off on that one being real. And every time that I do something like this, because very, very old, very, very grainy footage. In fact, it's much older than where I even pulled it from. It's probably like 15 years old. It's like beginning of Iraq old. So here's the CNN uh, clip from a decade ago talking about uh, invisibility tech. And by the way, trusting the science, what I also find interesting about this clip is that there was a time when the U.S. changed their military camouflage into this weird pattern that really the soldiers disliked. It almost was like a step to degrade them as they went in with this thing because it really didn't protect them at all. And they actually admit that it didn't work and it angered a lot of people. But people have to realize that time period was about bringing in the biometrics, the drones, the automation and robotization of war, the big dogs. And then further advancing that and getting rid of humans. So, you know, now looking at, at this, you know, 10, 20 years on, um, I think that is part of like this weird psychological warfare tactic against all of us, including the military. Like they literally put them a little bit more in harm's way for some kind of a weird, like, you, you PR look that now, you know, again, when I was a kid, you didn't see commercials for the military in the movie theater. And now you were seeing full-blown movie theater style recruitment ads at the movie theater. It wasn't just on TV. You know, it wasn't just be all you can be. Just, again, observations. So this is CNN uh, a decade ago telling you uh, openly about invisibility cloaks. Camouflage can be the difference between a soldier getting shot and going home. So a lot's riding on the next generation designed to outfit troops. It's only been eight years since the Army spent $5 billion on camo that critics say didn't fool anyone. Soldiers complained to the point the Army abandoned its one-size-fits-all universal pattern. So they were looking for camouflage that they could use everywhere. Correct. And it, it didn't work anywhere. Guy Kramer is one of the designers competing to win the Army's next multi-million dollar contract. So again, that just also shows the corruption of military uh, contracting. And uh, again, I, I, I respect the fact that at least back in the day, CNN was like, yeah, it didn't help anybody. $50 million. <laughs>
This summer, he showed us the science behind every shape, size, and shade of these pixels. You now have your camouflage. So we're trying to trick the brain into seeing things that aren't actually there. Digital patterns recreate shapes already found in nature, and 3D layering creates depth and shadows where none exist. That's today's design, but developers already have one eye on tomorrow. What's coming up down the road and very quickly is the Harry Potter cloak. What is it? With that fictional cloak, Harry isn't just camouflaged, He's invisible. It's Harry Potter. We better stop it there because, you know, we don't want the Harry Potter copyright strike. Well, I mean, we're getting, we're, we're riding the edge here on YouTube. You know, little muskernuts here, a little Harry Potter there. I mean, my goodness. My pony's gone. How invisible are we talking here? If I walked into a room with a soldier wearing one of these cloaks, you wouldn't see him at all. Uh, he would be completely invisible to you. This isn't make-believe. The military has seen the so-called quantum stealth technology. It works by bending the light around an object, even concealing most of a person's shadow. Imagine what that could do for a sniper hiding in a field, or the American pilots who ejected over Libya when their fighter jets crashed last year. They could actually pull out, uh, very similar to what they carry with a survival blanket, throw it over top of them, and unless you walked right into them, you wouldn't know that they were there. So what was once firmly in the world of make-believe could quickly become quite real. The science is in the special fabric, so you don't need a power source or some instruction manual to make it work. Theoretically, any soldier, even in the most remote location, could quickly put it on and get it working. Think about that now. Now, again, that's technology. Publicly, they're talking about a decade ago. I'm going to show you the actual stuff, the invisibility cloak tech that's put on tanks now. Now, when he talks about the fabric, think about what I just said about those balloons. So in reality, even if you were to like get high enough, and, and they're probably pretty high if there's a network of these things all over the place that are carrying satellites. Uh, but at the same time, they're using that cloaking technology on top of it. So if you have, um, you know, a telescope and plus, no matter how many there are, Earth's a big place. And as it expands, you get higher up, there's more area, right? To spot one of these things would be very difficult. Just point that out there. So I'm going to show you the uh, adaptive tech next. And uh, coming up shortly, we're going to discuss this, Ukraine, uh, the classified documents scandal and so much more uh, with Stuart J. Hooper, one of my favorites, to uh, break down geopolitical, uh, really, really what's actually going on geopolitically. So this kind of transnational network that I discuss that goes beyond the nation state. We had a great discussion. Uh, here it is, um, adaptive tech. Now you see it, now you don't. Well, almost. A new so-called invisibility cloak called Adaptive has been tested, which could one day help military vehicles blend into their surroundings and avoid heat-seeking missiles. 
So how does it work? Well, this cloak is basically a sheet of hexagonal pixels that can change temperature very quickly. Onboard cameras can pick up the background scenery, then display that infrared image onto the cloak, allowing even a moving tank to match its surroundings. The maker's BAE system say a vehicle can also pretend to be something else. For example, here on the left, you can see a tank with adaptive off. Then on the right, you can see it with the technology on and it's mimicking a car nearby. This, the company says, will reduce the chances of it being attacked. It apparently works both in the day and night and when the vehicle is moving. When we spoke to the company, they admitted it's not 100% invisible. The outline can be seen by the naked eye. But they told us the main advantage of the technology is that it confuses heat-seeking missiles. They said it could be in production in two years' time and could one day be used to cloak battleships at sea. Now, I would say that it was already in production, uh, but not on a mass scale where you're seeing it every day. That's a four-year-old video. I'd say it's in production more now than ever, okay? And uh, again, this, this is what they show you. And you know the military has this nasty habit of classifying, over-classifying things, okay? So, so the question is, what do they really have? Now, this is an old, old video. Old, old video. Very, very grainy, very choppy. Um, look in from the far side. Coming in, guys. We're going to play it. Don't worry, they show it to you. And there. Now, uh, this is the one I'm not signing off on. Uh, that I don't know how real it is. But I remember this going around. And, uh, you, you know, if you were somebody in the Middle East using that technology at that time yeah, on any level, I would imagine uh, you had a high rank in the classification, especially not to get caught because you wouldn't want the enemy showing that. So look, that one's with a grain of salt. We're just, we're gonna say it, that one right there, totally a grain of salt. Okay, with that being said, uh, what I'm gonna do now is I am going to bring up uh, this interview with Stuart J. Hooper, I need you to thumbs it up, subscribe, and share. Uh, look, guys, this, this is a dude that is within uh, academia right now, who I highly respect. And the thing is that I, I love when people go the extra mile. He's a professor uh, at Oklahoma. They, they give so much more gravitas and credibility to a lot of the things that I discuss because not only do they have that degree, but they're constantly sourcing things where even though if you watch this broadcast, yeah, we're like I, I wanted to show you, we're bringing the receipts on everything. We've got to bring the receipts on everything, period. That's how we does it. <laughs> but there's so many other people out there in this arena of commentary that either aren't showing you the receipts or are editorializing to uh a manner in which, you know, it's suspect. And some and some of them just kind of take the narrative of everybody else. Like either it's laziness, sometimes it's griftiness, sometimes it's pur purposeful disinfo. That's not what we do here. I try, I try very hard to come prepared. Like I get up early, 
I know what I'm looking for. I already have uh, some of the stuff brought up there. Obviously, I did this interview uh, last night. But when I'm off the cuff, I let you know. So that's when we do the AMAs and things just happened. And what do you think? But when I've really thought things through, I want to bring a perspective where people can go, huh, is that what's going on? Now, I'm going to say it again. I don't 100% know what's going on with this balloon, but it is something that I thought was worth discussing with my boy. So uh, without further ado, let's get to this uh, great interview that I did with Stuart J. Hooper. We were going to go over Ukraine, the World Economic Forum, even the Biden classified documents, and we're still going to do that. But I kind of took a break over the weekend, as I often do now that I do the morning show, and I haven't weighed in on the quote-unquote Chinese spy balloon. And I, I can't wait to get my next guest take on this. He's one of my favorite uh, political analysts out there. He is Stuart J. Hooper, and he is working on a PhD, but I think that some of his uh, academia work already is amongst the best. He gives some of the best breakdowns here. So before we get into the balloon at all, uh, let my audience know who you are, where they can find your work, and uh, what you've been talking about recently, because we've talked about the doomsday clock here on this show. We've talked about the threats of quote-unquote tactical nuclear strikes. We've seen the rhetoric escalate time and time again via Putin as Biden escalates this uh, military expansionism really into Ukraine, at least publicly. And, and really, the, the reason I say publicly is because you know sending 48 tanks over there isn't going to make the difference in the war, but they're easing you into this idea that 48 could be 480 or 4,000 soon. So buckle up and get ready. So uh, Stuart, take it away. Uh, tell people where they can find you. And uh, again, what you're working on briefly. And then I want to do go full-blown Chinese spy balloon. Well, thank you very much for the introduction, Jason. Extremely kind. Always great to be on with you too. Um, I am... Uh an academic, as Jason said, um, taking a, a more critical approach to the study of politics, to, to put it lightly. Um, but it can it can be done within academia, um, in the right places, with the, with the right people. Um, I have a YouTube channel where I put out short, around um, really 10 to 20 minute videos a couple of times a week, breaking down the most important geopolitical stories of the day. That channel is slowly growing. I took a bit of a break towards the end of last year because I was busy, which didn't help, but would appreciate as many new subscribers as possible over there. Maybe we can start to get some of the view counts ticking up slowly but surely, covering quite a lot of the same things that uh, Jason covers here. Other than that, you can also find me on Twitter and I have a little Facebook page as well, reposting some of this stuff. Um, but yeah, as you said, it's, we haven't spoken in, in a while and there's been a lot going on um, in that gap. And specifically, a lot going on with all of the potential for a global conflict. And there are lots of pieces of the global puzzle that are all seemingly moving in this direction. Um, in this direction, at precisely the same time when Western democratic governments have 
really never really been seen this week, which I think is an interesting um, um, kind of side note to bring up, is that at exactly the same time as we're moving towards World War Three, or the external enemy, the external threat, is precisely the same time when if we look internally into Western democracies, things seem to be crumbling down slowly but surely um, on an economic level, on a political level, really on a social cultural level as well. Things are falling apart at the seams within our countries. And what do we now have? Well, we have a convenient excuse for, in fact, two excuses, Russia and China now, to go ahead and just, well, let's forget about the domestic problems. Let's forget about the fact that eggs now are almost going to be costing a day's wages or whatever ridiculous um, inflation rate that eggs are now at, are at um, that you can't afford to fill up your gas tank, that you haven't had a pay raise in God knows how long. Let's just forget about that, put all that aside, and let's think about Russia and China. Um, this Again, is part of the problem, but it's not the whole problem. Um, but yeah, that's that, that's my uh, brief overview of where we currently are. Well, I, I have to agree with you, and that's why I want to raise my skepticism about this idea of a quote-unquote Chinese spy balloon and what I think this really was. So number one, I, I know that you know this because you've looked into NASA and these joint space programs, especially with the ISS, and then kind of this international law uh, amongst the satellite systems that engulf the planet. Well, in my opinion, uh, what you're seeing here is more than likely a faulty balloon satellite. All right. And, you know, they've already talked about how uh, there were several during the Trump administration off the coast of Hawaii. And, you know, this is just the first one that we visually saw. And, and basically what I think you're seeing here is just a malfunction of a joint communications program, a network that's kind of been set up by what we would call the military industrial complex, big tech, et cetera, uh, the surveillance states out there, the extension of five eyes and all this stuff. Um, and this balloon that was probably, I don't know, maybe 30,000, 60,000 more feet in the air, I'm not sure what the altitude uh, is speculated that it was, was once that high and it wasn't malfunctioning and you couldn't see it. And, it, and China took credit for it because it is part of that joint program. And of course, they're not calling it a spy balloon. They're uh, saying that it was uh, there for eco surveillance. But you, you have to kind of guard the idea that you already have this alliance via these different uh, entities globally via the space program and what's really going on there. Because we don't really know. For instance, um, you know, I covered the fact that a few months ago you had a launch from Kazakhstan with American, Chinese and Russian astronauts up to the ISS. So clearly, even in times of conflict and war, there's some deal. Uh, that's out there. And the other thing that I would speculate on is there's a lot more of these things up there than we imagine. And basically, you probably don't see the balloons most of the time because they are made of a special material that makes them almost invisible, if not invisible. We've already seen that technology utilized by the military. They're bragging about it and putting it on tanks now, you know, like they're openly talking about it. And the reality is, I think that we have a larger system up there 
um, that are, are, you know, not satellites that are quote unquote in low Earth orbit, but globally in this balloon system that is largely automated from the ground. All right. So it is. And they have little propulsion systems and can move around that way. And uh, at the same time, they have a refueling system, either by some kind of a manned aircraft that you would just go up to the top of the balloon, right? And there would be, you know, you, you watch how they do it in the military with, for instance, uh, uh, airplanes, where it sucks into the top and it just refuels the helium. And then whatever propulsion system they're using, uh, a similar refueling tool. So they can be up there perpetually. But every once in a while, they fail. And, you know, with the advent of more and more and more and more people having the magic devices, you're getting, uh, and, and this one just, uh, and you have more and more and more of them up in the air, right? Because these things are expanding all the time. There's going to be issues. And all of a sudden, this one got out of their control because we're human beings and we make mistakes. It was faulty for whatever reason, who knows? And all of a sudden, now you need a cover story and you've got to get it out of the uh, public realm when you shoot it down. And what better way to show that weakness, that perpetual weakness of the United States you just talked about, how we're not number one anymore, and that's the global projection. And also in this idea of red China versus USA, good old America, and, and make this perfect storm for a global conflict. I know that sounds dark, everybody. Um, but that's my read. I, I, and Stuart J. Hooper, take it away. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting perspective. Um, in, in terms of what goes on in the military industrial complex, the black programs that exist, that we know exist, that millions of dollars are funneled into, um, billions, trillions probably over the course of just our lifetimes, um, these things do exist. And there is a whole lot going on behind the scenes that really the average everyday voter has absolutely no idea about. And not only do you have absolutely no idea about any of this, but you have absolutely no influence over any of this either. Um, if you think your vote is going to change the existence of this world of secret black projects, um, and as you focus on here extensively, Jason, um, black space projects if you think your vote's going to change any of this uh, you're living in fancy land um the the idea that um the u.s military is some democratic force is just completely disconnected from reality um i actually had my first academic journal article published to, uh, at the end of last year uh, end of october and it was looking at julian assange and the central argument of that whole um article was the only reason that Julian Assange is being so publicly persecuted is because what all of those revelations did was break this democratic facade. The idea that this is all for democracy and spreading peace and a more stable world. Well, what we saw from the revelations of WikiLeaks was that what WikiLeaks is doing is um, what the American government is doing. Sorry. Um, is far from sp spreading peace, love, and democracy and stability. In, in actual fact, it's doing the complete opposite. And all I focused on in that article was the collateral murder video, which I'm sure you've all probably seen or heard of. If you haven't, just go and check that one out. It's still on YouTube. You can find it. And, um, and, and let's and talk about it quick, you know, because we have mm -hmm. to. 
because clearly, um, you know, it just showed the brutality of war and the fact you had mm -hmm. these people just walking down the street who were journalists, who weren't doing anything, who were perceived as enemies and were gunned down in the streets. And again, this is at a time when Americans were still wishy-washy on things like Guantanamo Bay and black torture sites out in the open, which we all of a sudden aren't. And even in the supposed patriot movement that believes in, uh, you know, mm -hmm. QAnon sense nightmares that, no, we'll put them in Gitmo. No, we need to get rid of Gitmo. All right. There's no reason to have these places. So that was the real threat that people were seeing in real time. Our military, again, gunned down what, what people realized then was the fourth estate and was supposed to be set up so that you understood what was actually going on in the global conflict. I, I'm sorry I interrupted you, but I, it can't be emphasized enough because WikiLeaks and Assange is such a relevant issue. And the more and more uh, we get away from it, the more and more I feel people need to absolutely come to it because WikiLeaks was the way. Even, you know, and, and I don't want to go off on tangent here, but even if you look at what's going on with the Twitter files, where's the WikiLeaks stuff? Continue. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And we could do a whole other show on just that um, WikiLeaks stuff some other time if you want. Um, but otherwise, if you guys want to check out the article, you should be able to view it for free via a link at the top of my Twitter, which I think is still pinned there. So you should be able to go and uh, check it out. Um, but otherwise, in terms of the rest of the stuff that is going on, secret programs, military industrial complex, all this sort of stuff, um, Something that I'm focusing on with all of my research is trying to construct an idea of a transnational military industrial complex. Um, in other words, the military industrial complex still exists, but it now really exists offshore. Um, the center of its power is above and beyond the state. Um, well, if that's true, that then returns us to the point of it is also above and beyond your vote you are not going to have the same degree of influence over this that you may have had back in the 60s or 70s or the 80s um, and the research that i'm doing is looking at two specific um, entities the defense innovation board and the defense innovation unit and these are two um, institutions that were created by the um, obama administration they still exist to this day so they have survived the tumultuous nature of domestic American politics, which immediately says something about them, that they are important and they are above and beyond the average um, left-right paradigm, which, of course, you, 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 you've stood against for years. I've never believed in that. Um, I even actually once stood as an independent candidate for parliament back in England um, because I was so... Um, really disaffected with the British left-right paradigm, where, where it really is still the, the same thing playing out. Um, but there's these two entities, the Defense Innovation Board, the Defense Innovation Unit, um, they, they are really staffed by transnational elites. So the Defense Innovation Board, for example, was chaired by Eric Schmidt. Um, I know he's one of your um, personal favorite um, transnational tech elites. Um, and the Defense Innovation Unit is charged with Going around, yeah, I have a copy of that somewhere around here too. Right, yeah, here we go, right here. Huh? Huh? You want? Nah. I mean, boom! Look at that. And because this is the real deal, this is literally their blueprint. They talk about WikiLeaks extensively in this and its effect on society. And basically, if you want, 
if you want the playbook that they were laying out for this mm-hmm. misinformation and disinformation and silencing campaign, they bragged about it right here, right here. And, and uh, continue, my friend, continue. Yeah, again, it's another great side note, though, that all the, all of this stuff is publicly available. I'm not doing anything that's involving secret files or classified documents or anything like this. Everything that I'm looking at is publicly available. So it's it's there for those who are willing to go and find it um, and then interpret it through a lens which can make sense of it, which is um, what I'm hopefully successfully trying to do with the, the PhD. And hopefully in a year or so's time, I'll have a nice book for everybody else to go and uh, read. Um, but this, this, this defense innovation unit is, is pretty interesting. So th- this was charged with going around Silicon Valley um, seeing what was going on in Silicon Valley, um, what are the tech companies making, what's really on their agenda. Um, and they weren't even looking for anything that was being created with a military purpose. In fact, they were looking for things that were just new innovations, new great tech innovations that the military may be able to use. So things that they could repurpose for military means. Um, and this one particular um, thing I was looking at last night is called a Perdix drone, P-E-R-D-I-X. Um, this was developed by um, a group of engineers at MIT. Um, I think some students actually were really the, the people behind this. <clears throat> and it was a, a, a swarming drone. So they release hundreds of these things and they can all work together to, to accomplish uh, a specific task. Now, the, the DIU, the Defense Innovation Unit, got wind of this and they bring it into the um, Pentagon structure and they are able to ultimately put it into a system which can be ejected out of the flare dispensers of an F-22. So they're they're very good at finding these particular systems, repurposing them, and then making a military um, objective really achievable as a result of these technologies, which then become dual-use technologies, which I'm sure that's the term you've probably heard before, something that could be military or just commercial. And not Um, only that, but at the same time, uh, you know, the access to a lot of these things um, to be highly militarized is when commercial pr- uh, products utilize some of the technology. Uh, so, for instance, uh, a lot of the drone slash rocket technology is now at a much cheaper price because they're using uh, cell phone chips, these small chips that are being manufactured in mass uh, by Samsung. And people have to understand that's why Samsung now also has a place in the background at the military industrial complex. It's not just because they're selling phones. You know, I talk about that Transformers conference, which, again, big conference, Washington Post, Lockheed Martin, Samsung, NASA, Rocketdyne, uh, Martin Rothblatt. And then you have uh, misinformation panels with Twitch and Reddit. You know, I mean, it's uh, that's why we talk about these things in unison, because all of these things exist outside of the United States at this point in one form or another. Yes, NASA does as well with all of its public private partnerships. That's my point. You know, that that's that that's you know, I think I can't wait until you get those three letters, that Ph.D. and people can start seeing, uh, you know, really how obvious in their own writings this has already happened. Even Whitney Webb's new piece. Um, you know, One Nation Under Blackmail highlights kind of this 
transnational military industrial complex corruption behind the scenes via the intelligence agencies that essentially run these these uh you know the lockheed martins etc etc of the world yeah and you can look at um an institution like the atlantic council and they proudly display on their website all of their corporate sponsors and it's all of the uh big name players in the tech industry and the military industrial complex all coming together to help guide nato's policy forward um what could possibly go wrong there um but coming back to these satellites and um everything that's gone on with china and these sorts of problems this the the central threat here is that regardless of what this is or was um the public framing that we have is that it is from china um we now have a domestic political firestorm all around this republicans chomping at the bit biden didn't do enough biden's weak and well as you said maybe this has been going on for a very very long time and this isn't even really what we think it is but um the problem is this is going to be used to as i mentioned at the start push the domestic debate push our political capital if you will into what could be a very dead end um and the very dead end of course would be well if war breaks out between um china and the united states um there are american generals that are coming out and claiming that this is also potentially going to be happening within the next couple of years i don't know if you saw that story from last week but that was a current american general who said that there was another retired colonel who i caught an interview with i think it was published on breitbart and he was saying that if you keep funneling these weapons into Ukraine, it's going to become very clear to Russia that they are not capable of winning a conventional war against NATO. Well, if they can't win a conventional war, Russia has another option. They could fight a nuclear war. Um, so that's the problem there. And I'm also trying to work on um, an article right now, a bit more informal, that looks precisely at this war in Ukraine and tries to explain why people are standing against the funneling of weapons into Ukraine. Um, and I'm arguing that it's not because these people are appeasers, not because they want Russia to win, not because they're particularly good fans of Putin even, but because we have just lived through two decades of a war on terror where we've seen military force used and abused We've seen $2.3 trillion in Afghanistan alone literally flush down the toilet for what? Nothing. So people are not appeasers of Putin. People are becoming skeptical of the use of military force. So if you want to have a reason why people are not just all jumping on the bandwagon of support Ukraine, support Ukraine, the Western world needs to take a look in the mirror and ask, well, what did we just do for the past 20 years? We just fought two wars of aggression. We completely wasted everybody's time and money and lots and lots and lots of lives, completely destabilized an entire region of the planet. Um, and now we're asking people to support another war. Well, here we are. It, it sounds wild, but let's talk about the doomsday clock because the concept of the doomsday clock, first of all, it's just such a bizarre concept 
right? Especially when they pose and they move the doomsday clock and they make a big announcement. And there's like four people surrounded, like smiling as we supposedly uh, move closer to our thermonuclear doom as a species. I mean, it's the wildest thing. We're now at 90 seconds to midnight. And uh, this was kind of satirized via the Watchmen comic book series and then the film i love the director's cut of that film by the way i think that the watchman is is really just a fantastic movie um but it is this idea of nuclear armageddon and it's been brought back right because the watchman was actually something that was taking place uh during this 1980s what i would call hysteria via a cold war uh obviously that's been reignited however it's been re reignited in a way where yeah, you had the conflict in Afghanistan back in the day, right? Where the United States was teaming up with the Mujahideen, their buddy bin Laden and crew, the ISI. But it was more of a representative, even playing field. You knew the U.S. was on the ground. You knew the weapons were being trained there. Um, you know, again, a conventional war there seemed winnable, like you talked about. It no longer would seem winnable if it basically you had just corporate sponsorship as many munitions as you could funnel over there via this nato alliance all right so now we come to the rhetoric of putin and uh dimitri and others you know that have uh, gotten up there and started to say hey keep poking the bear and you're going to give us no choice you've already backed us into a corner where we felt like we had to go into the ukraine in the first place that you were going to take these other places, you were actually going to advance, okay? And we did that. So f around and find out. And now we move this closer to midnight. So if you want to talk about the the origins, perhaps, of the doomsday clock and uh, where that comes from, and then kind of bring us forward, that would be great. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. It's very uh, an interesting concept and uh, of course has its roots in in the cold war um and how scientists were ultimately trying to make the point that um it's not necessarily always a great idea to push forward with every single technology that we have just because we can and we see this today again playing out with artificial intelligence AI, um, chat, GPT, um, this sort of thing. Um, just because we can do something and make something doesn't necessarily mean that it's a, a great idea. Um, but this doomsday clock, it's supposed to be a representation of these, um, again, these scientists' views of how close we are to engagement in a nuclear conflict uh, in World War III, which is what a nuclear conflict would, of course, suggest. Um, I had exactly the same thought that you did when I watched that announcement and they there are just these four people standing in front and then they reveal the clock and they they take the cloak off and they're all standing there and they don't know whether to really smile or not or not smile <laughs> um it's just a really kind of strange situation um I think though I wouldn't necessarily throw this thing out entirely um it's good to have somewhat of an institutional force saying maybe we should put the brakes on this maybe we should consider where this is going and what the ultimate aim here is um, and that's been my central critique of the war in ukraine for the last couple of weeks 
what is the objective? What does it mean to be victorious here? Um, because if it means the complete reclamation of Ukrainian territory, there are now lots of American generals also coming out and saying, yeah, that might not be possible for a very long time, if ever. And these are also not retired military elites either. These are people who are still in the American military structure. And, well, if you want to retake Crimea, for example, that's going to take such a concerted effort, so much blood, so much technology, so many bullets, so many munitions, that they are essentially asking the question, is it worth it? Is it worth this price? And this is also a question that's come up with some of these cities in Ukraine that have been um, under intense focus for the last month or so. Bakhmut, for example. Um, I heard a, a few military analysts the other week arguing that this city has no strategic relevance whatsoever. But they're fighting for it tooth and nail every single day, throwing more and more bodies into this. And they just keep piling up on both sides. So what what are we trying to achieve here? What is the ultimate goal? Um, should Russia have invaded Ukraine? Absolutely not. And if you're against George W. Bush's invasion of Iraq, you should absolutely be against um, Putin's invasion of Ukraine. We have to move away from militarism as the potential solution of any of our political problems, blowing each other up is not going to move us forward as a species. So I would like to see um, a legitimate objective. And of course, the Ukrainians want their territory back and they should never have been invaded. We can agree with that while also saying we have to be realistic. And what is a realistic goal at this point? Is this going to be the next forever war? Or are we going to try to bring an end to this sooner rather than later? Because if we can have an international coalition that can throw weapons into this, I'm pretty sure then we should be capable of having an international coalition to bring about peace. Where is that international coalition? I don't see it. I don't see it either. And it's so let's just stop it there. Let's just stop it there. Uh, we got about three more minutes on this side of the broadcast. We got about 30 plus more minutes over on that interview. Uh, I want to let everybody know that you can find this broadcast and support us real time, real time over at redvoicemedia.com slash Jason. All right, now you'll see a double Burmus right there. Redvoicemedia.com slash Jason. It is $10 a month or uh, $100 for the year. Help support the broadcast. Use that promo code that helps me out a ton. If you, if you love this interview, and you just don't want to go premium. I totally get it. Or you're already premium on Rockfin. And you're like, come on, Jason. Well, you can go over to Podbean right now. Okay. And you type in the Info Warrior. And we are live on Podbean. And you can listen to the rest of this broadcast. And I'm going to be getting into uh, a lot of the technology as well. That's the next thing that we were talking about. The invis invisibility cloak technology uh, that's been public for like 10 years. Okay after we get done with the Stuart broadcast. So you can listen on Podbean for free. You can go to redvoicemedia.com slash Jason. If you already are a subscriber, thank you so much for coming over. I wanna remind people uh, over on Rockfin, 
Uh, there are a ton of other videos that were already on the second uh, hour, just like we just put this one up here. But we also have some exclusives like the Union of the Unwanted. So there is plenty of content out there, guys. And every single day, today, in fact, you can go over to redvoicemedia.com slash Jason, and you can get all the premium stuff from two weeks ago. We, we release a new one every day, two weeks later. It's all there. It's all free. Uh, but we really do sincerely thank those that are coming over and supporting the broadcast. Okay, so that's my cue to the producer to let's start going over uh, to a premium only. And I'm going to say goodbye to each of you here. And remember, it's redvoicemedia.com slash Jason Rockfin. Thank, thank all you guys for the continued support. Hopefully you enjoy this video. And uh, we will be putting up the whole Stuart J. Hooper interview eventually over there with a ton of other stuff, including uh, some Making Sense of the Madness exclusively. Thank you, Rockfin. YouTube, uh, love the support today. Uh, remember, make a comment, thumbs it up, come over to Rumble and sub over at Rumble as well. Twitter, we'll see you. Arrivederci. Sayonara. See you later. And of course, Rumble. Rumble, thank you. Uh, a ton of good stuff on Rumble as well. All my documentary films are free here too, Rumble. Uh, thank you as well. <clears throat> this is the bridge of the broadcast right now, guys, and we are good to go. Uh, so with that being said, we're going to get right back into it, and we're going to go to Stuart J. Hooper. Instead, I see a narrative push that we're we're behind you all the way, whatever it takes, for however long it takes. And um, I'm not so sure that the other side feels the same way. And uh, the, there's the other idea of alliances being built as this escalates. We haven't seen that yet. For instance, we really haven't seen China weigh in too much on that conflict, but it's certainly not out of the question as the narrative push is that they are becoming more and more the enemy. But same time, none of these companies are going anywhere. Just so everybody understands, Samsung is located in South Korea, not the hotspot for military conflict at the moment. Just, just letting you know, you know, unless all of a sudden you want to pop off on North Korea, and then that's going to be again another NATO line. Uh, you know, and I hate I'm even talking about that, uh, but that is where we're talking in you know this 2025 to 2030 time period, in my opinion if it is allowed to escalate and somehow it doesn't escalate to the point of open either thermonuclear warfare or EMP attacks, et cetera. Uh, personally, I'm not as worried about those type of attacks, but you know, again, I think there is also the possibility as we saw the military industrial complex rolling out their next, their next gen planes, next gen my ass, uh, but they're showing you them and they're getting ready to, uh, again, make planes that they've had in secret and that cost a lot more, more money and basically scale them up, make them cost less, and then have their black programs in, in the background. So you wonder, are they gonna roll out new weapon systems in the next couple of months? I think that's a possibility. Um, none of it seems to end good, especially if you were to have uh, a thermonuclear or even dirty bomb event anywhere in the world, whether it was by Russia, or any other entity, whether it was by a nation state or a rogue group, because you would you would simply, in my opinion, uh, escalate the uh, amount of 
digital surveillance and police state tactics you would see in all societies because there would be a constant fear that you could be wiped out at, at any moment because of the event that just had happened. Thoughts? Yeah, if there's any sort of dirty bomb, nuclear event, no matter how small it is, imagine the response to 9-11 plus the response to COVID times by about 10. I reckon that is the sort of world that you would be living in post-dirty bomb, post-nuclear event. Um, regardless, again, of how small the device was. And there was actually an interesting story, you probably saw it, um, I think it was last week, maybe the week before last, of this nuclear, uh, this radioactive material canister that was lost in Australia uh, along a road. And then they spend, uh, yeah, I think two, three weeks trying to find it. They eventually find it. But these are the sort of stories that you need to be keeping an eye on. Um, whenever there's anything involving radiological material, um, if there's, again, as, as I said, if there's any level of event involving something like that, you're talking the complete, I don't really want to say overthrow of our current system, but you're looking at COVID-style um, lockdowns and all of this sort of stuff would actually absolutely make a comeback, I believe, for sure. Um, in terms of why have we not seen this yet, I'll give you my most uh, most academic answer yet. There's this idea of the nuclear taboo. And it's the idea that, well, there has never been a detonation of a nuclear bomb post-World War II because there is such a negative uh, framing of what nuclear missiles are, of what nuclear weapons are that if you were to use it, you instantaneously become the devil incarnate, essentially. Yeah, you're super Hitler for sure. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So this is the reason academics explain that there has never been nuclear detonation since then. Um, and also you put this with the fact that now nuclear bombs are far more powerful than they ever were that were dropped on Japan. They were measured in kilotons thousands of tons of TNT. Now we measure nuclear weapons in megatons, millions of tons worth of TNT. Um, so yeah, you really would be super Hitler. But the question is, how much longer will this nuclear taboo last? Because it really is just the power of an idea. So ideas absolutely have power in politics. And again, this is a key reason of why I write in my article on WikiLeaks, ideas have power and look at what the US government has done to an entity which challenged its ideas. Well, the nuclear taboo has had power for a very long time. How much longer do we want to keep testing it though? We, if we want to keep that intact as a reason to not annihilate ourselves, let's stop poking the bear, let's say. Let's figure out a negotiated solution let's come to the table and figure something out um also because if both sides now russia and ukraine the estimates are anywhere that each side just not um, not both of them combined but each side has lost anywhere from 100 to 300 thousand soldiers in this conflict so again um, i mean how much longer do we want to drag this thing out this is what modern warfare looks like everyone um, you think you've got the most big, powerful army that you can go and do anything that you want? Well, it's not easy. 
And not only that, I mean, you're in a stage where drone warfare and small Mm -hmm. drone warfare and satellite warfare is now the reality, is now the norm. So it it can perpetuate this uh, for a much longer time uh, than you saw even in Vietnam, obviously, but perhaps in the war on terror, which is still going on. By the way, every, everybody thinks that's that's ended. You know, the Yemen uh, crisis is still a very real one. But because, uh, you know, they look different from us and we don't hear about it in our media ever, because in, in most cases we're behind that conflict. You know, and I think um, there was a drone strike in Somalia that I saw last week. Yeah. I mean, it's still happening. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's only escalating. That's a real danger. And if we were ever to get into the thermonuclear nature of that or perhaps space warfare, you know, these rods of God that have openly been discussed via the United States are not, again, just United States. And again, that Mm -hmm. that brings me back to the balloon and how all of this, in my opinion, I think there are treaties beyond treaties on what we're allowed to do with that kind of stuff. And it could open a uh, Pandora's box. And that Pandora's box uh, was really discussed uh, via the time of the Cold War and someone specifically, uh, Herman Kahn. And he kind of termed, uh, coined the term, uh, mutually assured destruction or mad. But, you know, the argument could now be made in this modern world that we don't live in a mad world because it's not just two entities that have these nuclear powers or even anti-missile systems. And there are these treaties behind the scene. But that doesn't mean everybody's going to play ball nice. So so what are, you th- what are your thoughts on mutually assured destruction, kind of how it comes out of that uh, generation of USA, Russia, USA, Russia, and, and has it evolved? Is it still spot on? Khan was a smart guy. Yeah, no, that is a really interesting concept. And whenever I talk about that with my students here in Oklahoma, they they are just completely um, blown away. They're like, what is this? I've never heard of this. I'm, I never knew this was an idea. I never thought that this was a a uh, way of doing politics because it's completely alien to them. Um, they've lived in a world where they haven't had to worry about this for um, a very long time. Um, most of them have grown up and they've never known about any of this stuff. They have they have no um, concept of what it means to be in a, a superpower confrontation. Um, but in terms of does it still apply, that's a really interesting question. Um, you remember throughout the Bush administration, there were lots of um shifts to try to get these anti-missile systems put into europe um these missile defense systems in in europe and the reason why that created such a significant um uproar from russia is because what do anti-missile systems do um they negate mutually assured destruction so the whole point of mutually assured destruction is i have nuclear weapons you have nuclear weapons neither of us will launch them because if we do so too will the other side and we will annihilate each other well if you have really good anti-missile defenses that then potentially puts you into a position of where a first strike would be feasible for you to do this is why this becomes a big problem and in terms of well what's going on in outer space i don't think we'll we'll ever really know um there's been tons of lines for space-based weapons over the years tons of um 
um, like you said, the the rod from above. I forget the name of what that thing was called, um, but I'm sure someone in the comments will remind us. But yeah, it's just uh, literally a, a rod which is, is dropped from out space and shoots through the atmosphere. Builds up so much energy, but that by the time it hits the Earth, it can just it will go through anything and it will go miles underground. Um, the question is, do these things exist? Are they in space right now, um, or do they not? Is everybody just abiding by these treaties? Do our governments tell us everything that they do? Um, are they always trustworthy? Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave the audience to decide an answer to that question. Yeah, absolutely. So, see, let's move on. Okay, because uh, we, we've been on the global theater. Let's let's bring it back geopolitically to the United States for a minute. And the classified document scandal everywhere. Everybody has classified documents. Now, it was almost no surprise when we saw the uh, DOJ go in, raid Trump at Mar-a-Lago. Many of us expected it as a fishing expedition. Uh, for whatever reason, I, I still believe they don't want Trump in there. Uh, you know, everybody can say, oh, Trump's going to come in and finish the job. Far from perfect, but in my mind, very much a headache to the establishment, you know. But at the same time, if they really are trying to strum up a contrived civil war and make neighbor fight neighbor, maybe that's the way they're going. All of a sudden, classified documents come up Biden style, and then the curveball comes Pensola. Okay, so now everybody's got classified documents. Um, I would obviously say that Pence and Biden would be illegitimate because they had them at a vice presidential level. Now, at the same time, I don't think Joe knows where he is. So whether or not those documents were planted and then later found, or they were actually there, I have no idea. Whether or not they're nothing burgers or they have to do with his corruption during the Biden administration, I have no idea. But I think that the purpose of this whole entire thing is a way to ensure that no matter what, he's not running in 2024 and will have to step down. And there may or may not be the eventual threat of an impeachment type scenario and you get a Nixon style resignation. Um, that that's what I'm reading from the current situation, because, you know, I, I think that's what's out there. Um, I think all cards are on the table. There's been really nothing leaked about what the documents have to do with. And like you said, I mean, you could I, I've made this joke, but it's true. You could roll up to Joe and be like, he's like, hell, what, what are these documents? And he's like, Joe, they're from when you killed that young Chilean boy in Venezuela. You know, he's like, which one? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, that's how bad it could be. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's not a child murderer. I don't know that. Uh, but certainly his policies uh, caused the yeah, death I think the, of, of the point. The, yeah, the Democrats don't even want him around anymore is very true. Yeah, I think that's what's going on here. Um, so they, they may be legitimate. They may have just been there and um, taken for whatever reason, whether that be accident or on purpose. Um, but yeah um people from all sides jumping on this you could actually see this towards the end of last year november december of last year lots of interesting headlines coming out from both the um, um washington post and the new york times two papers that you would expect would support the democrats support democratic president started to publish stories about his age 
and his forgetfulness and his slip-ups and speeches. Um, this became such an issue towards the end of last year that even the left um, of the mainstream media was jumping on this as well. Um, so, yeah, I think Biden is um, not long for the presidency. I don't, I don't expect him to run again at this point. But the question is, who the hell do they replace him with? Um, I don't know anyone on the, the Democratic side of things right now that could really step in and really assume this this role. Um, I mean, the current vice president, I mean, you're in no danger there of, of her being elected. Um, I don't know who I don't know who they would go with. So that's a significant problem. I mean, the talk um, here is, is, is Gavin Newsom just because they don't care. Just because. Listen, this is the, this is the thing like I, I, I would think like you that i mean there really is nobody capable i was i was more frightened than anybody that they were going to roll out a kamala embarrassed cory booker ticket and who knows maybe you do see the resurfacing of uh booker he took part in the biden charade over at amtrak in uh, new york city recently and was on the plane and certainly played his role during uh the farce that was the uh, democratic debates i mean literally the setup to get Biden nominated. I mean, weird stuff, you know, especially towards the end, uh, you know, the way that you had people, uh, you know, taking a dive like Pete Bootlicker and then getting a position, even uh, Elizabeth Warren stepping down just at the right time. They coordinated for Joe Biden, for a zombie poopy pants president. So why not give you American Psycho? Why not literally give you the Christian Bale character <laughs> from the film? and say we don't care anymore like you're not going to question elections we're going to do what we you want i mean there's a guy i believe could probably pull a solid 12 to 20 percent of the vote nationally <laughs> gavin newsom and they're just like boom how about it how about it mm -hmm. so so i mean you know please continue but that's kind of where i'm at because we haven't changed the system and there's all this hopium we saw what happened mm -hmm. during the midterms every single big name in every single supposed close election or what shouldn't even have been via Carrie Lake, right? Or you look at a Blake Masters and then you look at a Dr. Oz. All of them all should have won a Herschel Walker. All of them should have won hands down just based on our past as a, being a celebratard loving society and going for that. And they all were immensely popular, but somehow just by the skin of their nuts, you know, they lost. And even even with uh, Kathy Hochul, I mean, literally a witch villain in New York State. I don't like Lee Zeldin either, but, uh, you know, just at that, at that just precipice where, oh, just didn't make it. So we mm -hmm. haven't solved anything. No. Nope. Uh, um, you know, they talk about uh, the COVID-1984 nightmare ending in mid-May, but then Joe Biden doesn't know where he is and just says it's up to the Supreme Court, apparently. And he already so, declared that it ended. When was that last October? I think he just... Well, the listen, stop, <laughs> because he said it at a car show with a newsman, and there were a lot of pretty cars there, Stuart. Yeah, and, you so know, that's why, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and Corinne Jean-Pierre is like, come on, the, the, the man clearly was distracted by the cars. I mean, that's the thing. Like, in passing like passive aggressively these establishment figures obviously admit this is a dementia uh ridden puppet that runs nothing but they don't want to admit it and you know going back 
to this classified document scandal, I think it's a way to get him out whatever, you know, with, without having to publicly admit it until mm-hmm. 5, 10, 15 years down the line, when it's some part of some documentary, well, we all knew old Joe was gone, but we couldn't have Hitler in there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So exactly. I, I, again, you know, keep going. What are they going to do? Because if it's not Newsom, who is it? What What do you think? Yeah, honestly, I don't know. I'm at, I'm at that. That's my answer to that question. I do not know. I have no idea what direction they're going to have to go in. Um, but the left-right paradigm will do its best to push forward and sustain itself. So they'll figure something out, I'm sure. But back to the, the classified documents. This is, again, another example of the hypocrisy of modern Western so-called democratic governments. Um, if all of this is just no big deal, why is WikiLeaks such a big deal? Why is Julian Assange um, such a big deal? Why are we pushing ahead with the prosecutions of these figures? Um, if having just a few classified documents is no big deal, well, then maybe we should start to apply that um, idea to everyone. Maybe there should actually be a rule of law. Um, you know, the idea whether the law applies to everyone, regardless of who they are. And if you're a political elite, you don't just automatically um, get to issue an apology and just walk away. Um, so, again, it's another really good il- illustration of the fact that there is um, absolutely a two-tiered political structure in the United States. Um, there are the elites and they there are the non-elites. And if you're in that non-elite group, which is the vast majority of people, even most people in Congress for that matter, um, you are you are irrelevant. Um, your your ideas don't matter. Um, where you want the country to go doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I mean, I would almost take it to the point of your vote. Does does your vote even matter at this point? Um, when government is this far disconnected from the people, um, you really have to even question that most basic level. Um, so that that's kind of been my thing with all of the stuff in the elections as well. Um, I don't think that your vote really matters no matter who wins, uh, especially if it's one of the left-right paradigm characters. Um, if you're voting for one of those creatures, again, on either, sli- on either side, um, good luck. Um, I don't think they're going to save you. Um, I think there needs to be some alternative um, movement. I don't know what that is or what it looks like, but the current system is, in my opinion, probably bordering on irreparable. I also agree with that. However, on the other side of the um, aisle, you have DeSantis Trump being being portrayed as the next big showdown. But then you got kind of side players in there, including Mike Pompeo, right? And all of this at the same time that you have Tucker Carlson, who is the number one newsman in America, whether people like it or not, you know, the most popular guy out there calling out a lot of truths, including the Central Intelligence Agency being involved in the Kennedy assassination. What what is what are your thoughts on that entire kind of political deluge and uh, spectrum right now? Because, you know, I, I speak the Reawaken America tour. There are a lot of conservatives that may be waking up to certain things, but they really believe that they can take this country back by getting Trump into office or going conservative. Uh, And then you have these kind of side deep state players like Pompeo and Barr, which are 
still on the at least the talk media circuit for the most part. But then you have a guy like Tucker, who's the most popular out there, calling him out and saying, come on my show and discuss this. And they're not. So, I, I mean, give, give me your rundown and thoughts of that, because it, it is a very uh, precarious time. We've never seen that sort of thing where the number one newsman was basically being ignored by the rest of the news spectrum when he's reporting these things. And then even within this kind of subspectrum of the rumblers out there and the alt conservatives and the people waking up and even a lot of the evangelicals, um, there's this whirlwind of, I would say, confusion and and uh, purposely so. Mm -hmm. No, I think you're absolutely correct. And for Tucker, um, yeah, very interesting figure, Uh, probably. In fact, he is. He's the only mainstream media figure that I ever um, am interested in hearing what he has to say, Um, because what he has to say is not a traditional towing the line of the Republican Party. As much as the left would like to portray him as that, that's not what he is. On some issues, he is. But I would say on the more important issues, he's absolutely not. Um, He was going full blast on Lindsey Graham uh, towards the end of last week. Um, Absolute establishment Republican. Absolutely um, there for the long haul in terms of a career politician. And Tucker was going off on it. And he always does. And he always goes off on these figures. Um, Then the very next hour after him on Sean Hannity's show, well, Hannity has all these guys on and he's just... um, It's so bizarre, isn't it? Because like they lean into each other. And like you said, a Pompeo or a Lindsey Graham, they love going on Sean Hannity. They put on that big politician smile. And let me tell you, Sean, we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. We're coming up. We got a lot of great candidates this time around. We're going to push forward through, you know, and at the same time, Tucker's pointing out reality has probably two to three times uh, the audience that Sean has in the aggregate. And he leads into Sean. You know, I mean, Sean gets a lot of that sweet, sweet Tuck audience. <laughs> it, it, yeah. is, it is bizarre, a world. Continue. Yeah, I'd actually love to see the numbers on Hansi's show. I bet they trail off quite dramatically, uh, maybe after one segment of Hansi. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it is strange. But the, the problem, though, with Tucker is that I think people interpret him as leading them to the Republican Party. And if that is where you're being led by that rhetoric and that worldview, that's the wrong direction. Um, and that is where I think, and you can probably speak more to this than I can because you've been more deeply involved with it. Unfortunately, the alternative media, I think, has become more and more consumed by the left-right paradigm since Trump. And it's jumped on the Trump bandwagon. Um, now, like you said, if you're picking one over the other, if I would have been able to vote in that election, I probably would have voted Trump, primarily just for the foreign policy stuff, because um, that's the, really the only thing I care about. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything else is kind of a side issue for me. But that evidently is not the right move. And just look at what um, has happened over the Trump administration. No real significant changes in how the U.S. operated in terms of its foreign policy. Um, Yeah, he spoke a really good game on the campaign trail, but didn't really do a whole lot to change anything like NATO and the current uh, structure of, of world affairs. Yeah, he went and stepped inside North Korea by a few meters, but 
has there been any tangible shift in North Korea's behavior or in the U.S.'s behavior towards North Korea? Absolutely not. So I think the alternative media has unfortunately fallen back into this left-right trap, which I think is a bit of a problem. Um, then you have, like you also mentioned, the QAnon movement. Um, where did that come from? I'm not sure we'll ever know. Um, there was actually, I don't know if you've seen it or maybe you've done a video on it that I missed, but there's a documentary. I think it's on, I want to say it's on HBO. I've watched them all. I mean, and I have done kind of extensive work. So the HBO one talks about the Watkins takeover of yeah. really um, kind of like the 4chan trolls, but it doesn't really go into the origins of it. Uh, I would say that the search for Q, at least the first season, did that, but that's really more of a, a weaponization and demonization piece against Clay Clark and even what I go on now, saying that, you know, the QAnon movement's still here and it's dangerous, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that that originally spawned out of DEFCON and some bad actors behind the scenes um, that were also working with some low-level uh, Republicans, if I had to name names. Well, I'd say looking, you, you know, to Schoenberger, DeFango, um, even a guy named uh, Brower at the same time. I, I can't remember what whether it was Jake Brower or what his name was. But you had these individuals that I think that had access to it if they hadn't just created it. Um, look into the Cicada Puzzle Group. And then I think it was kind of like sold or taken over. Um, you know, the, the key was given out there and they said it was out in the wild. I don't know that it was ever really out in the wild. And I think it was kind of utilized a lot. Remember, a lot of stuff was Q branded. And then Q would, I believe, pick up on it and run with it, right? And go with it because of the popularity and the clicks, et cetera. So I, I think eventually it was utilized kind of like as a psychological warfare operation, wherein it started kind of as a goof and a, you know, a hopium operation. Yeah, I, I tell you something else that I think falls into that category. And this emerged about a decade ago. You probably saw it too. Mm -hmm. The flat earth stuff started to become very popular on YouTube. Um, and all of a sudden, you've got people that were once talking about legitimate problems in government, legitimate political issues, military industrial complex, the war on terror, all the problems with that. Now, all of a sudden, they fall into the trap the flat earth trap um where now it's oh so you believe the war on terror is bad but you also think the earth is flat oh so that's why you think this stuff right so you're immediately tarnished with the your crazy brush um so i think there's a lot to be done on these things with that angle um because the idea of q flat earth whatever it is i mean even uh I mean, David Icke's done some good stuff, but then you go back to the reptilian um, angle on all of it. And it's, well you, well, you believe this, you believe that, and maybe those things are true, but you also believe in the reptile people. So that automatically discredits everything else that you just said. So people have got to really start to smarten up a bit with some of this stuff. And we already have enough legitimate problems to be dealing with that we don't need to be running down rabbit holes finding other problems to deal with, um, which are not even problems, but probably planted um, by some enterprising individual within an intelligence agency somewhere um, to discredit this whole alternative movement. And again, I think probably the bottom line for that would be 
does the solution to this problem lead you back to either the Democrats or the Republicans? If the answer is yes, that's not your solution. That has to be the new rule if we're going to move ahead with any of this stuff. I absolutely agree. Uh, brother, it's been a great hour. Tell people again where they can follow you. Obviously, it is Stuart J. Hooper over on Twitter. And you also have a great YouTube channel. We're hoping we're going to get you some more subscribers out there. Let us know uh, where else they can find your stuff, especially the academia and how they can support you. Yeah, that's about it. I um, just really need more followers on Twitter and YouTube. I would love to have 10,000 subscribers by the end of the year on YouTube. I'm at about 3,500 right now. Um, I think it's achievable, but of course the algorithm doesn't like you if you take a, a non-partisan position or if you question mainstream narratives. Um, it would probably be very easy for me to get a big following if I just jumped on either the left or the right bandwagon, um, but not going to be doing that. No, um, no. But yeah, would appreciate support there. YouTube and Twitter, that's where I need help. All right, brother. It's always great to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem, Jason. Great to be here. Later on. So, All right, brother. Know, um, that guy's killing it. Loving it. I mean, for those that uh, don't know, one more time. Stuart J. Hooper over on the Twitter. Uh, definitely a YouTube channel to look out for. And uh, just a great discussion. I probably could have talked to him for another hour. Uh, I'm sure you guys might have liked me talking to him for another hour. It is Monday, however, and uh, we also do have to wrap it up by 55 after, even though I, I usually go to the 45-ish to 50-ish mark. Um, today, I want to look more at that technology kind of bring it back around to where we started and all and, and this is a video uh that was done god it's got to be five maybe even closer to 10 years ago it's been around for quite some time so you know i want to reiterate uh the idea of this uh invisibility cloak technology now you see it now you don't here are 10 amazing invisibility technologies number 10 quantum stealth this amazing invisibility technology was created by Hyperstealth Biotechnology Corps and has been dubbed a real-life Harry Potter invisibility cloak. The quantum stealth, as it's more commonly called, can obscure objects, making them appear invisible. The sheet is made of light-bending material and boasts the use of something called broadband invisibility. The technology could be used to hide anything from ships to vehicles to spacecrafts. Oh. Oh to spacecrafts oh weird that they would say that so again I, i'm not telling you one way or the other you know what what this bull chinese spy balloon was but just keep listening and watching i mean i i i i think that i at least have an argument for this thing right i'm not just pulling out of thin air the company explains that quantum stealth can render a subject invisible from a variety of spectrums, including thermal. The technology is currently patent pending, but its creators are confident that it will find a variety of future uses. Number nine, electromagnetic cloaking. Researchers from Spain have been working hard on a groundbreaking invisibility technology called electromagnetic cloaking. This technology utilizes the principles behind plasmonic cloaking and leans on previous studies from Stanford University scientists. Electromagnetic cloaking is, essentially, 
the interaction of light and nanostructures. When light and nanostructures interact, they create electrical currents that make objects appear invisible. This technology, although amazing, is limited though, as scientists point out that it can only be used to hide small objects. But again, we're in the bio-nano era. This is public technology. Uh, this is older, and you have to wonder what's been scaled up. Number eight, octopus-inspired synthetic skin. Scientists often turn to nature for inspiration when developing new technologies, especially DARPA. And this invisibility technology is no exception. Professors and researchers at MIT are currently crafting a very unusual type of invisibility technology. They are creating a dynamic and flexible material that basically mimics the responsive behavior of cephalopod skin. Cephalopods, like octopus, cuttlefish, and squid, are able to blend in with their surroundings at a moment's notice. Not only blend, but morph. It's not because it's not just um, it's not just incredible the way that they're able to camouflage their actual body, right? That that's pretty crazy. It's more than that. It's their whole body contorts to actually adapt to the situation. It's beyond just like lizard chameleons. They can change the patterns of their skin or even the texture if need be. This allows them to become virtually invisible to predators. Scientists through extensive research and advanced technology are hoping to duplicate a cephalopod's camouflaging abilities. If they can do this, then soldiers could become invisible on the battlefield. I, I just want to say, like, nature's wild, man. <laughs> you know, I'm such a simpleton when I say th something like that, that way. But it's so true. Nature is, those things are wild. When I say contort, I, I know, and they're really smart. You've seen uh, them go through these little holes. You know, this is a huge, like a hole this big. Escape, they're smart, and they're adaptive. Nature is wild. Before we move on. Oh boy, let's come on, daily top tens. Let's go. I appreciate it. You did you did a good job on this video. Number seven, spectral cloaking. Spectral cloaking is an amazing, innovative invisibility technology that is being fine-tuned by a team of researchers at the Institut National de la Research Scientifique in Montreal. Spectral cloaking involves a cable a laser light, and a target object. In spectral cloaking, the light's frequency is changed. This change allows light to pass through the object. Normally, light interacts with an object, so by allowing light to pass through it, the object appears invisible. When an object is cloaked this way, the viewer can actually see through the object to whatever is behind it. Researchers at Montreal have recently done a number of successful experiments using spectral cloaking. In a press release, the researchers have stated that they have made a target object fully invisible to the observation under realistic broadband illumination. This is a huge step forward in spectral cloaking, and the scientists are excited at the prospects of future advancements in this amazing invisibility technology. Number six, the carpet cloak. Researchers at the University of California, Berkeley are beginning to control how light reflects on objects. They have developed something called a carpet cloak. Carpet cloaks are made from Teflon and ceramic particles. 
In carpet cloaking, an object is put underneath a layer, which is called the carpet. Using a variable refractive index, objects underneath the carpet become undetectable to light. So, all you see is the carpet, the layer on top, and not the object underneath. And basically, we showed you this earlier if you watch the CNN clip and the military clip. The project is being led by Professor Shang Zhang and is still in its early stages. But he and his team are optimistic that carpet cloaking will change the way we think about invisibility and eventually allow invisibility to become somewhat mainstream. Oh. Number five, Shen Shiku's invisibility cloak. Shen Shiku is the deputy head of criminal investigation department at the Ministry of Public Security in China. The Ministry of Public Security. And that's the thing, man. Let's go back to that conversation I'm having with Stuart J. Hooper and how there are these transnational agreements. And look, I've been saying this for a very long time. China is the model. It's the model for the collectivist new world order. You can call it communism. You can call it globalism. At the end of the day, they want collectivism. They want to regiment all of humanity and take over into a transhumanist future, which is basically a, a virtual nightmare. And not a virtual nightmare in that you're not actually living it, in that you're going to have to adapt to this virtual world and they're going to try to convince you to upload into it as well. I, I, and I know it sounds science fiction, but you're looking at the invisibility cloak, right? From like the 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 CCP dude, and and I don't and that's the thing, I don't think all these guys are bad. I think the average Chinese citizen just wants the same thing the average citizen wants, right? That's the reality. But we live in a much more complex world than that much more complex and first of all they they want to keep as many of these citizens as possible because they're willing to lock down in large numbers they're not accustomed to uh, many of the, the the freedoms that are here but they have their own kind of corruption all right and, and it, on top of just the government top-down corruption i want to point that out and he claims that he has successfully made an invisibility cloak he posted his creation on youtube where it quickly racked up views. He is calling his technology quantum technology cloth made of transparent material. He explains that his technology works by reflecting the light waves around it. So when a person stands behind it, it looks like they have disappeared. He further explains that his technology could be used by soldiers at night. Under the protection of his cloak, they would avoid night vision spyware. However, some people have pointed out that he may be using advanced editing software and that his cloak is not really an invisibility cloak at all. This has not been proven as of yet, but either has his cloak. Number four, the Rochester cloak. The Rochester cloak is not a new technology, but it is still one of the most amazing invisibility technologies around. The Rochester cloak was developed by John Howell. Howell was a professor of physics at the University of Rochester when he developed the cloak. He also had a partner, graduate student Joseph Choi. Together, they developed one of the world's most widely used invisibility technologies. 
The Rochester Cloak is a cloaking device that features four standard lenses. When the viewer moves several feet away from the object, these lenses make the object seem invisible. For the Rochester Cloak to work, the object has to be in the cloaked region, which is a cylindrical region between the first and last lens. The Rochester Cloak is actually pretty easy to build, and since it uses fairly inexpensive materials, it is sometimes used in science classes to demonstrate the physics of invisibility cloaking. Number 3. Invisible Active Camouflage There are times when camouflage is crucial, especially in the military. But all camouflage has its limits. Until now. Until now. Researchers from TUV in Vienna and colleagues from both Greece and the U.S. have teamed up to develop a completely new invisibility technology. And this is what I mean. You know, just with the NATO alliance alone, you're looking at shared high tech between westernized nations. And then again, you look, I mean, think of some of the names in universities. There, there already is this partnership with China. We know this with, with things like the EcoHealth Alliance scandal. I mean, that's directly involved with the governments, right? So to think that this isn't happening, not just in, you know, biological technology, but also warfare technology, cloaking technology. Come on, we have to grow up. Of course it is. This new technology uses an opaque material. The material is irradiated from above with a specific wave pattern. Obviously not, not an actual demonstration. When the wave pattern hits the material, the waves can essentially pass right through the material without anything to obstruct them. Researchers have been quick to point out how fundamental this technology could be for military camouflage. It would allow its user to actively camouflage, changing how they camouflage depending on their surroundings. But the uses don't stop there. Researchers have also pointed out that this technology could be applied to all sorts of waves, including sound waves. The technology is still in the experimental stages, but computer simulations have shown that this technology could work, so invisible active camouflage is a very real future possibility. Number 2. Toyota's Cloaking Device It might seem strange that a car manufacturer is dabbling in invisibility technology, but that's exactly what Japanese car manufacturer Toyota is doing. Toyota has found a way to make parts of vehicles invisible. In fact, they have even received a U.S. patent for their amazing invisibility technology. They received the patent for apparatuses and methods for making an object appear transparent. The technology is essentially a cloaking device that makes the car's A-pillars to the left and right of the vehicle's dashboard invisible. Toyota claims that, due to upgrades in crash safety standards, A-pillars have become larger. But larger A-pillars actually pose a problem to motorists as they limit visibility. And if you just saw the how they did that device, you know, basically they're taking a camera view and then they are then cloaking that on the back seat through a projection system. And this is older technology, way older technology. But, but again, it's being commercialized. I think you're gonna see more and more of it. I, I think it's already been utilized, obviously, militarily on a high level. The solution? Make the A-pillars disappear. At least that's what Toyota has proposed. 
Using mirrors to bend visible light around the A-pillars, Toyota's patented invisibility technology will improve the visibility for all motorists. Motorists will be able to see through the A-pillars, which will give motorists a wider view of the road. This will make for safer driving conditions. And although the concept has not yet made its way into mainstream manufacturing, Toyota claims that it's only a matter of time before this amazing invisibility technology becomes available to all of their vehicles. Number 1. Invisible Glass Most invisibility technologies involve cloaking or hiding an object, so they don't really achieve true invisibility as far as invisibility definitions are concerned. However, Charles Blanc and Andreas Leopis have developed an invisibility technology that makes the object truly invisible. They have developed the world's first invisible glass. The glass, which was developed at the Brookhaven National Library, was actually inspired by the biology of a moth's eye. Getting back to nature again. Their groundbreaking technology essentially eliminates all glare from glass, making the glass appear virtually invisible. The technology uses a very specific process. When the glass is assembled, the assembly process creates tiny cones. These tiny cones are painfully small. In fact, they are 1,000 times smaller than a grain of sand. But these nanometer cones are able to transmit light in a way that has never been seen before. Again, nanotechnology. To put this technology in perspective, an ordinary piece of glass can transmit 92% of light. But invisible glass can transmit 99.7% of light. Blanc and Leopis foresee their invisible glass being used for car windshields, eyeglasses, solar panels, and even smartphones. And although glass is normally see-through in and of itself, it's not invisible. Invisible glass is the most amazing invisibility technology developed to date, which is why it has earned the top spot on this list of amazing invisibility technologies. All right. One more video for you before we wrap it up. I saw this yesterday and it was, it angered me, but at the same time, I was like, you know what? This woman's spot on. And I definitely could not play it on the YouTube end. All right. Uh, but this really reiterate, reiterates the conversations that I've had with um, nurses, several nurses, people in the medical field. And, uh, you know, that includes Peter McCullough while I was out in Nashville, Tennessee, that people were purposely murdered in these hospitals via remdesivir. And I'm going to warn everybody um, that this woman has righteous anger, in my opinion, and she uses what some would call vulgar language, but all of it's justified. And I think more of us need to be uh, this angry. So I'm probably just going to play this and uh, wrap it up. I want to thank everybody who's uh, come over to the premium side. Hopefully you enjoyed this conversation with Hooper, uh, the uh, invisibility tech, my take on the red balloons, the red balloons, Chinese spy balloons. And, uh, and, and now um, what I believe to be a powerful video that needs to be shared everywhere. So anybody heard about Kristen the Piston? Anybody heard about how my father was murdered with remdesivir? Has anybody heard about how the hospital called me and blamed me and my mom? because we weren't vaccinated and that was the reason he died? Anybody heard about how they put my dad on palliative care and they never fed him and they starved him to death? 
and they only gave him one can of Insure in nine days? Anybody hear about that? Anybody hear about how they put my dad in bilateral restraints, restrained him against his will, and pumped him full of remdesivir against his and his family wishes? While they called me and blamed me and told me he was dying because I wouldn't take the vaccine? Has anyone heard the story? Anyone? You heard the story yet? You heard about how my dad was murdered in a worse way than people on death row? Do you hear me? People on death row are treated more humanely than my father. He wasn't able to use a goddamn phone. Are you listening to me? Everybody, you know, people want me to act all nice about this shit, man. Fuck you. Fuck you. This shit is bullshit. They murdered my father. They injected him with poison. They lied to me. They blamed me. You want me to act normal? Sit here and make deals like everything's okay? So we can watch Rebel News go up to Albert Borla and do nothing. Nothing. Is that what you want? Fuck you! Yeah. Yo, she's not, she's spot on, man. I mean, gets me emotional. I, you know, people know what, the same thing happened to my aunt. Did, almost killed my cousin. You know, I, I, I don't know that they've come to terms with that remdesivir lie yet. It's a, it's a tough watch. It's a, it's a needed watch. And, and I mean, what, what is Rebel News supposed to do other than just expose those guys? What are we supposed to do? I mean, that, that woman is justifiably pissed and has every reason to be. Every reason to be. All right, guys. We will be back tomorrow morning, bright and early, 8 a.m. Eastern, like we are Monday through Thursday. I want to thank everybody. This is Reality Rants over at redvoicemedia.com. I am Jason Burmas. I absolutely love you all. And guys, I will see you all on the flip side. Remember, I'm a documentary filmmaker, and they are all free, my friends.